Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, August 4th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, kombucha benefits type 2 diabetes, study suggests, from Medscape. And COVID-19 cases are rising, should you get a booster, from Time. Plus, MIT-designed wearable could detect breast cancer early and at home, from Popular Science. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Kombucha benefits type 2 diabetes, study suggests, by Miriam E. Tucker from Medscape. Top line, a pilot study suggests that kombucha consumption reduces blood glucose levels in adults with type 2 diabetes. The sample size was too small for statistical significance. Methodology. Prospective, randomized, double-blinded crossover study at a single-center urban hospital system. A total of 12 participants with type 2 diabetes were randomly assigned to consume 240 milliliter of either a kombucha product or placebo daily with dinner for four weeks. After an eight-week washout, they were switched to the other product for another four weeks. Fasting blood glucose levels were self-determined at baseline and at one and four weeks, and questionnaires were used to assess secondary health outcomes. Questionnaire data were analyzed for all 12 participants, but only seven who completed the study were included in the analysis of fasting blood glucose. On cultural enumeration, the kombucha contained mostly lactic acid bacteria, acidic acid bacteria, and yeast with molds present. In practice, kombucha is a growing part of the beverage market in the U.S. and the world, driven in part by the wide range of suggested health benefits. However, nearly all of these benefits are based on in vitro or animal studies, and human clinical trials are needed to validate biological outcomes. Source. The study was conducted by Chagall Mendelssohn of MedStar Georgetown University Hospital in Washington, D.C., and colleagues. It was published in Frontiers in Nutrition on August 1st. Up next, COVID-19 cases are rising. Should you get a booster shot? A new COVID-19 booster is coming in the fall, but does it make sense to get a booster now? By Alice Park from Time. With summer travel in full swing and masks a distant memory, it's not entirely surprising that COVID-19 cases are creeping upward again. Along with the increase, some states in the U.S. are also recording upticks in COVID-19 hospitalizations, especially among older people. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, weekly hospitalizations have been rising slightly since the middle of June, from around 6,300 to more than 8,000 for the week ending July 22nd. The agency no longer reports on national case numbers since the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency in May, meaning state health departments were no longer required to report this data to the CDC. 
The trend reflects the waning immunity that most of the population has against SARS-CoV-2 since the last widespread recommendation for a booster shot was in April, when the CDC advised that most people receive a booster targeting the viral variants Omicron BA4-5. These variants, however, have since been replaced by new ones of the XBB variety, which means the protection the current booster provides is less than ideal. Earlier this year, U.S. health officials decided to update the booster in the fall, but have yet to announce which variant to target, although it's likely the new shot will focus on some version of the currently circulating XBV virus variant. Until that happens, does it make sense to get another booster shot to better protect against getting infected? The answer to that really depends on your individual situation, says Dr. David Wall, professor of medicine at the Institute of Global Health and Infectious Diseases at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. For people who are older and may be traveling or otherwise find themselves in close quarters with other people, getting a booster now may make sense, especially if their last shot was more than three months ago. If people are doing square dancing, playing bingo, or going on cruises, and it's been a long time since they were last vaccinated, they should probably top up sooner rather than later, says Wall. The same goes for people with weakened immune systems, whom the CDC also recommends get boosted more regularly to keep their immunity as strong as possible. Even though the current booster does not specifically target the XBB viral variants that are currently circulating, it is not chopped liver, says Wall. It works because there are enough conserved parts of the variants that the existing vaccines continue to work, he says. They have been particularly effective in protecting people from getting seriously sick with COVID-19, which is why hospitalizations, even though they are increasing slightly in some parts of the country, remain relatively low. But for most otherwise healthy people who take reasonable precautions against getting infected, such as wearing masks in public settings and in poorly ventilated environments, waiting a few weeks for the updated booster may make sense. I'm 59. I was vaccinated with the bivalent booster in September, and I'm pretty careful where I breathe without a mask, says Wall. I will continue to do that and wait to get boosted, because I know the consequences of my getting infected are probably pretty minimal, he says. Other experts believe it couldn't hurt for even otherwise healthy people to get another booster now. I believe that it's important for those who feel they might be at risk for more severe disease or for healthy people who feel they want maximum protection to get a booster, says Dr. Sandra Kemmerly, an infectious disease specialist at Oxner Health in New Orleans. Kemmerly has written several prescriptions for the antiviral treatment Paxlovid for COVID-19 patients this week and has seen more people hospitalized for the disease as well in recent weeks. I don't think that waiting for the updated booster to come around is necessarily prudent while we are seeing increased cases, she says. Kemmerly points out that those who might want more protection aren't necessarily those with weakened immune systems, but people who might be on multiple medications or being treated with slightly immunosuppressive drugs like prednisone for a skin condition who might be at higher risk of both getting infected with COVID-19 and becoming seriously ill when they do. She acknowledges that there isn't strong enough data showing that the current booster that targets Omicron BA4-5 can protect against infection with the newer variants, 
but scientific precedent, such as with the flu shot, suggests that it can provide some protection, even if it's not the maximum protection. In addition, vaccines aren't the only source of immunity. At this point in the pandemic, more people have also been infected with the virus, whether they have been vaccinated or not. While it's not clear whether getting vaccinated or infected provides stronger protection, it's likely the vaccine does protect people from getting seriously ill. Wall points out that while we hear about cases of vaccinated people getting infected, we don't hear about how often vaccinated people who are exposed to the virus don't get infected. I do believe there is some immunity from the vaccine against infection or that people get transiently infected and knock out the virus before they develop symptoms, he says. But it's hard to capture that in data, he says. The protection provided by the existing vaccine, even if it's not optimal, is therefore still important and could be contributing to the smaller peaks in cases than we've seen in the past. Hopefully, the surges will be more like surgelettes because of immunity we have from vaccines and infections, says Wall. That is, at least until a new variant shows up that may escape all of this built-up immunity. Then it's back to the starting blocks for vaccines and creating a new immunological wall of defense against that variant. Up next, MIT develops an at-home mammogram alternative that fits in a bra. When caught early, breast cancer is quite beatable. Scientists are exploring a prototype device to try to spot it sooner. By Sarah Kylie Watson from Popular Science. Every year, around 42,000 women and 500 men in the U.S. die of breast cancer, a disease that, when caught early before it spreads to the rest of the body, has a 99% five-year survival rate. It's when the cancer gets detected in later stages when things become more dire, with survival rates dropping below 30% if the cancer spreads to lungs, liver, bones, or elsewhere in the body. The most common way to test for potential breast cancer is through a mammogram, an X-ray image of the breast. And while mammograms can typically find lumps in breast tissue much before a doctor or individual can feel them themselves, screening mammograms miss about one in eight breast cancers, according to the American Cancer Society. Mammograms are recommended for women above the age of 40 about every year or so, but for high-risk patients, that might not be enough. Interval cancers, or cancers that develop in between routine scans, make up 20 to 30 percent of all breast cancer cases and can be more aggressive. However, scientists at Massachusetts Institute of Technology have come up with another possible solution, a flexible patch that can take ultrasound images comparable to those done by medical centers but can fit into a bra. They published their recent development last month in Scientific Advances. We changed the form factor of the ultrasound technology so that it can be used in your home. It's portable and easy to use and provides real-time, user-friendly monitoring of breast tissue. Kanan Dagdevrin, an associate professor in MIT's Media Lab and the senior author of the study, said in a release. Inspired by her aunt, who died at age 49 of breast cancer, Dagdeverin designed a tiny ultrasound scanner using piezoelectric material that could take images whenever a user wanted. The team also designed a flexible 3D-printed patch with honeycomb-like openings. 
Fitted up with a matching bra, the scanner can be moved around to six different spots to image the entire breast. No special training needed. The researchers tested their device on a 71-year-old subject with a history of breast cysts and were able to detect cysts as small as 0.3 centimeters in diameter up to 8 centimeters deep in the tissue, all while maintaining a resolution similar to traditional ultrasounds. Right now, users need to plug in the device to an imaging center-style ultrasound device to see the images. But next steps for the team include building a mini, phone-sized imaging system. In the future, high-risk individuals could use the device at home over and over, and it could also come in handy for patients that don't have access to regular screening. Access to quality and affordable health care is essential for early detection and diagnosis, study author Catherine Riccardi, nurse director at MIT's Center for Clinical and Translational Research, said in the release. As a nurse, I have witnessed the negative outcomes of a delayed diagnosis. This technology holds the promise of breaking down the many barriers for early breast cancer detection by providing a more reliable, comfortable, and less intimidating diagnostic, she said. Up next, need a break now? Try treating your weekend like a vacation. Experts share ways to achieve a vacation mindset at home by Angela Haupt from Time. Going on vacation every week might sound like the very unattainable dream, but a simple mindset shift makes it possible, no travel involved. All you need to do is get in the habit of treating your weekend like a vacation, suggests Cassie Mogilner-Holmes, a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and author of Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. It's such a simple idea, but people find it really, really helpful, she says. It has big effects, she says. A few years ago, Holmes and her colleagues began exploring the importance of taking vacations, which are correlated with improved health, creativity, job performance, and life satisfaction. Yet Americans aren't very good at making these getaways happen. Only 48% of U.S. workers use all their vacation days, according to a recent survey by the Pew Research Center. Initially, we were like, how do we get more people to take their vacations, Holmes says. But then we realized we actually have breaks in our lives already, she says. Presenting The Weekend. In a series of experiments, Holmes' team instructed 441 U.S. workers to either spend the weekend like they would any other or to treat it like a vacation, which meant thinking and behaving how they might if they had traveled somewhere fun. When they were back at work on Monday, people who had adopted a vacation mindset reported being happier, less stressed and worried, and more satisfied than those who had had a regular weekend. What was somewhat surprising is that the effect wasn't driven by people spending their time all that differently, Holmes says. It was this mindset that allowed them to be more present. Instead of being in doing mode, it allowed people to settle in and be in the moment, she says. Holmes notes that the weekend as vacation philosophy isn't meant to replace actual vacations. But the strategy is an effective way to turn two days off from work into a real break without having to spend more money than usual or take additional time off. 
The key is making sure you're truly separated from the usual grind in a special way, says Andrea Bonar, an adjunct psychology professor at Georgetown University and host of Baggage Check, a podcast about mental health. She ticks off myriad benefits. Switching into vacation mode, even at home, will help you tune into the present moment and appreciate it with more gratitude. It turns a regular meal on a Saturday night into something we take more pleasure in, she says. It can even help alleviate burnout, or at least help people achieve a better work-life balance. There are many reasons why Americans feel unable to or resist taking time off, but one is that for years busyness has been viewed as a status symbol. Time off is not a sign of weakness, Bonaire says. We need it physically. We need it emotionally. We need it mentally, she says. At 5 p.m. on Friday, when you close your laptop, remind yourself that you're going to treat the weekend like a vacation. Tell your friends and family too. That in itself activates all these things, Holmes says. It sends a signal to your brain and body to slow down and pay attention to the present moment, savoring every hour instead of allowing time to slide by in a blur. While vacation looks different to different people, the common denominator is that it's this break that you get to settle into and be present for. She says you're not rushing through things and you're not viewing all your activities like a chore. She says. Not everyone has Saturday and Sunday, or any two consecutive days, off work, and some people, including parents, are beholden to weekend schedules packed with obligations. In that case, get creative to make time for your vacation mindset. You could apply the philosophy to, say, a Thursday evening or some other weeknight. Holmes suggests. Or, if you're worried about getting everything done, designate an hour on Sunday morning for chores, but protect the rest of the weekend as your vacation time. She says, if you're spending the weekend with your kids, ask yourself how you could mark the time in a special way. Consider taking them to a museum you don't usually go to. Bonaire advises, maybe spend the day with the kids doing something fun, but then get a babysitter for two hours and go out to a nice dinner with your partner. She says. Brainstorm the barriers that are keeping you from enjoying a vacation mindset, or even a real vacation, and ways to overcome them. Bonera suggests. For example, maybe you're trying to save money and you equate a vacation with lots of expenses. In that case, figure out what you can do for free or for a minimal cost, like going on a hike, floating down the river on a raft, or having a picnic in a pretty park. Home in on what makes a vacation different from a regular weekend too. Does it mean turning off your email notifications, splurging a little? Maybe it means being able to spend time with people you don't normally get to see, or giving yourself a break on a workout or specific chores that you usually attend to. She says it's helpful to make a list of those things and be able to follow through. She says one benefit of a vacation mindset is that it's a terrific antidote to cognitive fatigue, says Nika Kabiri, a decision scientist who applies the philosophy to her own life. I can't tell you how often I see people making bad decisions in their daily lives and at work for no other reason than that they suffer from cognitive fatigue. She says it's essential to take a real break and give yourself the right rest so you can make good choices the next day. She says. She recommends doing something totally new so you can disconnect from the same old routines governing your life. 
When you go to a new place and are discovering new things, you're learning about yourself, and this is new information that can bring you joy or stir ideas. She says, among her favorite ideas, drive to a part of town you've never been to before, go for a stroll, and grab lunch at the first cute cafe you see, or take a bike or boat tour of your city just like a tourist would. The spontaneity is what makes experience like this feel vacation-like. Kabiri says, treating your weekend like a vacation doesn't mean it needs to be an elaborate affair. Holmes enjoys simply walking to the coffee shop with her husband in a leisurely way and sitting and chatting longer than they would on a regular weekend when they'd be hustling from place to place. If your so-called vacation encounters a few hitches or only lasts for a few hours. Don't fret. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Bonaire says, "Don't put pressure on yourself to have this perfect vacation." She says, "It's meant to be fun. Plus, there's always another one just a few days away." Up next, CDC says meat allergy caused by tick spit is more common. By Mike Stubb from the Associated Press. More than 100,000 people in the U.S. have become allergic to red meat since 2010 because of a weird syndrome triggered by tick bites, according to a government report released last week. But health officials believe many more have the problem and don't know it. A second report estimated that as many as 450,000 Americans have developed the allergy. That would make it the tenth most common food allergy in the U.S., said Dr. Scott Commons, a University of North Carolina researcher who co-authored both papers published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC. Health officials said they are not aware of any confirmed deaths, but people with the allergy have described it as bewildering and terrifying. I never connected it with any food because it was hours after eating, said one patient, Bernadine Heller Greenman. The reaction, called alpha-gal syndrome, occurs when an infected person eats beef, pork, venison, or other meat from mammals, or ingests milk, gelatin, or other mammal products. It's not caused by a germ, but by a sugar, alpha-gal, that is in meat from mammals and in tick spit. When the sugar enters the body through the skin, it triggers an immune response and can lead to a severe allergic reaction. Scientists had seen reactions in patients taking a cancer drug that was made in mouse cells containing the alpha-gal sugar, but in 2011, researchers first reported that it could spread through tick bites too. They tied it to the lone star tick, which, despite its Texas-themed name, is most common in the eastern and southern U.S. About four percent of all U.S. cases have been in the eastern end of New York's Long Island. One of the studies released last week examined 2017 to 2022 test results from the Maine U.S. commercial lab looking for alpha-gal antibodies. They noted the number of people testing positive rose from about 13,000 in 2017 to 19,000 in 2022. Experts say cases may be up for a variety of reasons, including Lone Star Tick's expanding range. More people coming into contact with the ticks, or more doctors learning about it and ordering tests for it. But many doctors are not. The second study was a survey last year of 1,500 U.S. primary care doctors and health professionals. The survey found nearly half had never heard of alpha-gal syndrome, and only five percent said they felt very confident they could diagnose it. 
Researchers used that information to estimate the number of people with the allergy, 450,000. People with the syndrome can experience symptoms including hives, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, severe stomach pain, difficulty breathing, dizziness, and swelling of the lips, throat, tongue, or eyelids. Unlike some other food allergies which occur soon after eating, these reactions hit hours later. Some patients have only stomach symptoms, and the American Gastroenterological Association says people with unexplained diarrhea, nausea, and abdominal pain should be tested for the syndrome. Doctors counsel people with the allergy to change their diet, carry epinephrine, and avoid tick bites. The allergy can fade away in some people. Commons has seen that happen in about 15 to 20 percent of his patients. But a key is avoiding being rebitten. The tick bites are central to this. They perpetuate the allergy, he said. One of his patients is Heller Greenman, a 78-year-old New York art historian who spends summers on Martha's Vineyard. She has grown accustomed to getting bitten by ticks on the island and said she has had Lyme disease four times. About five years ago, she started experiencing terrible itchy hives on her back, torso, and thighs in the middle of the night. Her doctors concluded it was an allergic reaction, but couldn't pinpoint the trigger. She was never a big meat eater, but one day in January 2020, she had a hamburger and then a big, fatty steak the following evening. Six hours after dinner, she woke up nauseated, then suffered terrible spells of vomiting, diarrhea, and dizziness. She passed out three times. She was diagnosed with alpha-gal syndrome shortly after that and was told to avoid ticks and to stop eating red meat and dairy products. There have been no allergic reactions since. I have one grandchild that watches me like a hawk, she said, making sure she reads packaged food labels and avoids foods that could trigger a reaction. I feel very lucky, really, that this has worked out for me, she said. Not all doctors are knowledgeable about this, she said. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker.
If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.